0: Hi, I'm Melanie, and I'm Anna, and welcome to Overdrinks, a science podcast where we unpack scientific topics through casual conversation. We are two PhD
1: students studying molecular biology who decided to create a podcast that combines two
0: of our favorite passions, science and drinking. Please join us as we talk about science like it's gossip at a happy hour. Welcome, welcome to, to Overdrinks. Drinks.
1: So Melanie, what are we drinking today?
0: Today we are drinking uh, lemon elderflower soda from Trader Joe's. But here's the twist: I put vodka in it.
1: <laughs> of course we did,
0: because uh, this is called over drinks, and eventually we were gonna have to have some uh, alcoholic beverages.
1: And after the science weeks that we've been having recently, we need. We a drink. deserve it. <laughs> we deserve a drink. And also. Uh, Shout out to Ohio for being our second largest fan base. Yeah, I don't
0: know anyone in Ohio. Me neither. I I really appreciate you guys. Whoever
1: Um, the 12 people in Ohio are that are listening to our podcast, hello, please feel free to email us or DM us and introduce yourselves because we love you. Yes, just wanted to put that out there. Thank you guys. So uh, with that, let's get into our topic of the day. Which is vaccines.
0: Exciting. Beow, 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 beow. Beow, beow, beow. <laughs> we should insert a reel. Yes, oh, God, no, afraid. leave it. <laughs> <Just> have... <laughs> Everyone can just listen to us talking about the... <laughs> uh,
1: yes, but today's topic is vaccines. Uh, vaccines are... My favorite topic. One of my favorite topics as well. A bit controversial... Topic. Yes, uh, but we're just going to jump right into it. So, how about we start with a little bit of background?
0: Sure. So, what is a vaccine? You may ask, Anna. You have no idea. You've never no idea. heard of one.
1: I've never heard of a vaccine. Please. tell um, me.
0: <laughs> vaccines are basically just a way to provide some kind of acquired immunity to a particular microorganism. So, like a virus or bacteria. Um, they're usually contain some kind of agent that resembles a disease-causing microorganism. Um, that can be things like a weakened form of the microbe, a toxin, um, a small surface protein. Um, and essentially what it does is it, uh, once this in- agent is introduced, it stimulates an immune response so that our body can recognize the microorganism as a threat in the future.
1: So I have a bit of an analogy that I like to use. It's my favorite analogy. I've used it with my family a couple of times that kind of breaks down what a vaccine is doing to our body and our immune system once it's introduced. So I'm just going to throw Tell that me. out there. Uh, so basically, last episode we talked a little bit about our immune system and the difference between the Special Ops and Incredible Hulk, the <laughs> Avengers. We used a couple of of, of analogies to, to that effect, and for for the purposes of this, I'll use something similar. So if we just think about our immune system as our Team of crime-fighting vigilantes that are ready to. I like that they're
0: vigilantes and they're not like an organized group.
1: Oh, because (laughs) if you know anything about the immune system, it is far from organized. It's a shit show. It is a shit show. Everything is on fire in our bodies, and it's just about like scrambling to put it out with no water in the hose. Like that's pretty much ninety percent of immune system. Amazing uh, situation. So. But yeah, so they are a team of crime-fighting vigilantes, I would like to say. Definitely not not super organized. But there are o- organized components. But each one of these uh, crime fighters have a very important, very specific job. And the rest of our body is kind of the city mm-hmm. that these crime-fighting vigilantes, that these Avengers are looking out after. It's like... Gotham. If we think of our of our body as Gotham, which is like pretty sick, but so our body is Gotham, and our immune system is our team of Avengers, right?
0: I feel like you're um, mixing fandoms there because the Avengers do not fight in Gotham City. Okay,
1: <laughs> forgive me. Avengers. Fi- what is that? DC versus Marvel or something? Yes, it is yeah, DC versus Marvel. Please forgive me, DC versus Marvel. But I just have one aside. I don't forgive you. <laughs> is the Incredible Hulk of a-
0: marvel or dc marvel
1: <laughs> is that the case it because is. i'm pretty sure
0: <laughs> no i'm right i swear to god i mean
1: <laughs> i'm pretty sure it originated
0: as dc All right. Well, we'll we'll just fight now. The podcast is over. (laughs) Uh,
1: We'll get back to that. I will add a correction: whether or not it is originated as Avengers or DC. But anyway, back to the uh, the topic of the day, which is vaccines. (laughs) Sorry, Uh, not Avengers. So basically, if we think of our body as like the city of Gotham, and uh, we think of our Immune system. So if we think of our body as a city of Gotham and we think of our immune system as the team of crime-fighting vigilantes, whoever you want that to be, the Incredibles, the Avengers, whoever is the DC version Batman. of that. <laughs> Batman is one man. The immune system is more than that.
0: You're right. Okay, I'm sorry. No more no. superhero chaps.
1: So if you think of our bodies as the city of Gotham and we think of our immune system as our team of crime-fighting vigilantes, then... Our pathogen would be the criminal that the team of crime fighters are trying to fight and beat our pathogen is our evil evil guy our bad guy he's the Joker okay that's our pathogen Um, so vaccines basically give these crime fighters a picture of or a report of what to expect from the bad guy so they're gonna give a photo of what the bad guy looks like And then they're also going to say and here are some of the bad guy's favorite tools to use when in battle and that allows the crime fighters to prepare a response and to prepare for battle against the bad guy so now they can actually build a team of specialized fighters who can only fight against that bad guy they can start mounting a response so that if they do see the bad guy they say hey I remember what you look like. I've been I've been shown a photo of you before, and you are not good. You're a bad thing, and now I'm going to kill you, right? Bad news. Bad news. Bad news bears. And so that's kind of my understanding of what, how... Sorry, what
0: fandom the bad news bears <laughs>
1: <laughs> in?
0: I'll see myself out.
1: <laughs> yeah, please. The door is right behind me. Okay. So, uh, but so if you really think about it, uh, that's kind of my... my best analogy my best breakdown of what a vaccine is doing it's essentially it's preparing our bodies for Mm -hmm. the worst case scenario so that when the worst case scenario does happen when we are exposed to that bad guy later on in life we have the tools to beat it right and that is my understanding of vaccines and there are a number of different vaccines that we can talk about a little bit more Um, in depth if you want to go into it
0: I also I I really like that analogy because I think it stresses the point that you know our body has the capabilities to fight off you know the bad guys or whoever but if they have no idea who the bad guy is and it's the first time that you're seeing the bad guys when it's you know wreaking havoc throughout the city you know you're going to be worse off
1: exactly or if you don't know what tools the bad guy has under his jacket right so even if your body thinks that they can uh, achieve like they can tackle this bad guy on the first round uh we don't know what surprise tools they're gonna whip out at the last second that could end up being detrimental right so in vaccinating we are giving a blueprint for what a battle might look like so that our body can best prepare for that battle if and when it happens absolutely
0: Um, Do you want to talk about uh, different kinds of vaccines and how they're because there's they're not all created equal?
1: (laughs) They are not. And some of them are better than others. Mm -hmm. Some of them are more effective than others. Some of them are safer for some groups than others. And some of them are a little bit less safe in terms of what they do to our immune system. And so we can just walk through each individual type of vaccine because they at the end of the day are all incredibly important. So uh, the first there, I have in my research, I have built a list of uh, six vaccine types that I'd like to cover. And if you have others that I missed, let's jump into those two, but I'll just list them real quick. So we have inactivated vaccines, live attenuated vaccines, subunit and conjugate vaccines, uh, toxoid vaccines, viral vector vaccines and lastly the new mrna vaccine so those are the six that i have listed here and those are all a lot of (laughs) big science words Mm -hmm. that we can now break down a little bit more so we can just start from the top and move straight down to the bottom uh the first on my list was inactivated vaccines so an inactivated vaccine is essentially uh we use kind of a killed version of the virus we use a version of the virus that's been mutated so much that it no longer is uh, living or capable of, of causing an infection. Um, so it no longer causes the disease. And we use that essentially as our picture of what the virus might look like. And that allows our body to mount a response against the virus virus or pathogen when it's exposed to it later Mm -hmm. in life. So some examples of this would be like our flu shot is an inactivated vaccine. Rabies is an inactivated vaccine. Hep A is an inactivated vaccine and uh, those vaccines really work by destroying the infectivity while still allowing our bodies to mount the immune response that it needs to so that it can then understand how to beat these viruses Mm -hmm. or pathogens in battle later on. Um, and the the problem with them is that they don't necessarily provide the same strength, right. the same level of immunity, because basically, imagine if your crime-fighting vigilantes are fighting like the weakest version of the Joker, right. they're not going to be prepared for the Joker when he's on his A-game, mm-hmm. right? So the best way to continue to ensure immunity is with booster shots. So with an activated vaccine, you actually need to use boosters later down the line right Um, but one of the pros of inactivated vaccines is they don't need to be refrigerated they don't have the same storage methods the same complicated storage methods as some of the other vaccines and so that allows them to be more accessible to developing countries and Mm -hmm. more accessible to areas that may not have uh, the necessary components to store some of these other vaccines right so that's inactivated vaccines
0: and i uh, correct me if i'm wrong i had thought that inactivated vaccines were also the equivalent that I can think of is like the dead body for the vaccine. Like it's not, it's not alive. It's like a, I mean, like- well It's like I the can. shell. It's yes, like, it's yes. It's like
1: the case. Yeah, so it really is, That, that is, that's exactly right. Yeah, so it's basically like showing a dummy version of right. the Joker, right? Okay. It's showing something that's not able to even fight back, right. but it allows us to understand kind of the outside casings. Mm-hmm. What does this virus look like? How does it interact in 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 general right. so that we can start building antibodies against um, that virus or that pathogen Perfect. right so yeah but it cannot fight back okay but on the flip of that the live or attenuated vaccines mm-hmm. actually do use a live version of the virus and so this is what i mean by some vaccines being safer than others Live attenuated vaccines are completely safe for the majority of the population. Right. But because they are technically still a live virus, there are a portion of there is a portion of the population that are immunocompromised or may have other health conditions, underlying health conditions that can affect the immune response. And if that crime fighting, that team of crime fighters is not on their A game, Mm -hmm. which would be somebody who has a weaker immune response then there is a chance that even this weakened version of the virus can still cause some damage. And so that's why it's a little bit less safe, but it's still safe for the majority of the population. Um, And it mounts a stronger response. And so you are less likely to need boosters and you Mm -hmm. usually have lifelong immunity once you're given that vaccine. And basically what a live attenuated vaccine is, is it uses the weakened or mutated version of the pathogen so that they are no longer pathogenic so they're still alive they can still do fighting but they can no longer cause illness right yeah so that's the difference I guess yeah I did those are a little bit mixed up they're very similar but Mm -hmm. one is like a completely dead virus right like the shell of the of the pathogen Mm -hmm. and one is still alive but it's damaged it's like the joker with his arms cut off so he can't shoot a gun right you know (laughs) so that's kind of that's those that's the main difference um
0: and i think like in my mind when i was trying to think of an analogy for this that might be helpful i thought of like attenuated vaccines are kind of like if you have a marine right or whoever and you take away like all of his or hers guns ammunition all that stuff knives anything to use as a weapon so it's still a marine it's still trying to survive in the environment and so you get a better idea of what the actual virus would be doing if it was trying to, you know, cause infection, but it, it can't, it can only yes. do so much because it doesn't have any of its weapons it to do anything. It
1: doesn't have the am- ammunition, you right. know, it doesn't, it's not able to shoot the gun. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so these vaccines are stronger, right? They mm-hmm. mount a larger immune response. And so at the end of the day, I would consider them in comparison to an vaccine. They are better as right. far as the immune response that they're able to mount for us but um they do require more storage uh-huh. so they have to be refrigerated oftentimes because it is a live virus still mm-hmm. even if it's mutated uh and so that means it's hard to transport and it's hard for certain countries to be able to store them and disseminate them as right. much as they're, they're needed and again those people who have weakened immune systems might not be eligible for these vaccines right. because these vaccines at the end of the day are still they still contain a live virus right mm-hmm. and so even if they can't cause damage in a healthy immune system one that's a little bit weaker maybe the guns aren't working but they can still cause a lot of damage in those in those right. systems right uh, so some examples of a live attenuated vaccine would be like MMR which we all have to get mm-hmm. Chickenpox is another one uh yellow fever smallpox, which was the first vaccine, those are all live, attenuated vaccines. I'll
0: tell you, I, yellow fever. I had to get that for um, a class oh God. that I was taking. Um, I think that it, it could be... Now I could be just bullshitting. Um, but the yellow fever vaccine is like a pill. It's not like something that you get injected. Oh. And you have to take it over a few days or so. And I was... I, my stomach hurt so badly from that I was mm. like oh my gosh I can't imagine if I had had you know actual the actual yellow, yellow fever infection Ugh. yeah it was it was terrible that's I, how
1: I feel about some of these vaccines it's mm-hmm. they can cause side effects they definitely can right because when our body what I like to think about side effects for vaccines is when we feel those side effects it means that our immune system is doing its job right if it were up to the pathogen they would show no symptoms right symptoms are an indicator that our body is fighting against these pathogens Mm -hmm. if it were up to the uh, up to the pathogen like HIV they would love to go undetected and just cause damage and just replicate right but our body is what causes things like fever raising the temperature Mm -hmm. to try to try to make it an unlivable host for the virus right that's a great example Mm -hmm. it's our body that causes these symptoms so for me, when I'm getting side effects from these vaccines, and, and I have gotten side effects from these yeah. <laughs> vaccines before, uh, I'm thinking that means my body's doing its job and would much rather have these somewhat nasty side effects than actually have to go through the thing that could kill
0: me. Right. And that
1: would cause so much damage.
0: Right. It's a It's like a controlled environment. I can raise my, you know, internal body temperature one degree instead of, you know my body freaking out when it sees an actual virus and raising it up to 105 and now you're having a seizure right Right.
1: exactly (laughs) exactly yeah so that's a really good example yeah um is i would much rather have a stomach ache even if it's really shitty pun intended than (laughs) have to deal with uh, have to deal with anything else than have to deal with the actual yellow fever exactly so then moving on from that is uh there's four words that you can use for these vaccines subunit recombinant polysaccharide and conjugate vaccines and those are a lot of science words (laughs) and science words are obnoxious so basically what this means though is that uh the vaccine is going to use specific pieces of the germ specific pieces of the pathogen to trigger an immune response so it's basically going to present a specific piece of the pathogen, a subunit, mm-hmm. a sugar, a polysaccharide, a conjugate, like a small piece of the of the pathogen. And it's going to present that and say, hey, this is one of the tools that this virus uses. Keep an eye out if you see this tool again. And then our immune's response to that is going to be to prepare for how to fight against that right. tool. It's a little piece of it. It's mm-hmm. the gun, not the actual right virus itself. Yeah. And that is a little bit safer, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not Maybe it's going to mount um, an immune response, but we can guarantee that that virus is never going to cause damage because there's no virus. It's
0: just a piece of it kind of floating around. It's the virus's hat floating in the environment. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) It's just a little chunk. It's just a little chunk. And so that is a little bit, those can be safer and those can be kind of effectively given to pretty much anybody, Mm -hmm. even those with weakened immune systems and some examples of that would be like hpv vaccine mm-hmm. which everybody should be getting their hpv vaccine yes because please. just as an aside hpv can be asymptomatic in men which mm-hmm. is why it's important for men to get their hpv vaccine because maybe you aren't feeling the symptoms but your girl will right. so hpv vaccines whooping cough and hep b are some examples mm-hmm. of uh, subunit conjugate vaccines
0: i also wrote that subunits are kind of like the fingerprint for your vaccine Mm. right like if your um your immune system can use that subunit or fingerprint to identify the virus later on so it's kind of like how we identify like a criminal at a Mm -hmm. crime scene like Mm -hmm. the criminal's Mm -hmm. not currently there stabbing someone say Mm -hmm. but if they leave fingerprints everywhere you can be like oh okay this goes to this specific person Mm -hmm. um without the virus like actually being present in the environment
1: i like that i like that a lot yeah so then the next uh vaccine that i have written down is a toxoid vaccine which i mean i'm a really big fan (laughs) of of different uh, pathogens that are able to release toxins because Mm -hmm. i think toxins are really sick Um, yeah literally they will make make you sick sick. (laughs) um but uh toxoid vaccines are really interesting uh and they to me uh, are are just as important as other vaccines that we may use because they protect us against some of the pathogens that can cause really serious damage because these toxins are going to cause really serious damage within our body. Right. So essentially what the toxoid vaccine does is uses the product of our pathogen, the product of our germ, the toxin, um, that is made by the germ and uh, introduces that to the environment. So that our bodies can create an immune response against the actual toxin that the germ is going to release Mm -hmm. once it enters our body. And so an example of this would be tetanus, okay, Mm -hmm. which is, tetanus is so scary. It it really is. It's terrifying, okay, and essentially tetanus is caused by um, another nasty little bug called Clostridium tetani, (laughs) uh which basically infects the body it, it lives in soil mm-hmm. right and it infects the body once in in open wounds right so you always think about uh if you the warning for tetanus is like don't step on a rusty nail mm-hmm. it's not actually the nail that's going to cause you the damage it's that there's dirt on the rusty nail right. that has the clostridium tetani, uh bacteria on it and so then once the nail pierces the skin little buggy is now in the bloodstream <laughs> okay so basically once it's in your body um, it releases this neurotoxin that essentially causes a bunch of neuro- neuromuscular issues and uh, muscular uh, contractions involuntary mm-hmm. muscular contractions and eventually you have no control over your muscular contractions and you can't you get locked jaw and clenched jaw and you can't breathe and you just k.o. Yeah.
0: So (laughs) it's a fun uh, way to say die. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's a a very nice way to say
0: die. Yes. Uh, So that's painful. It is
1: so painful. You know, when you get like a Charlie horse,
0: (laughs) I know all about Charlie horses. It's
1: just imagine just your whole body is in one big muscle contraction before your death.
0: Terrible. A terrible way to go. And that is why. Not my preferred. uh, Toxin to inject into my body. What's your preferred toxin to inject into your body? Um, uh, you know, <laughs> vodka. <laughs> is vodka a toxin? I think it's just necessary, right? Mm-hmm. It's a necessary stimulant to get me through my day. It's medicine. Yes. Vodka
1: is medicine. <laughs> but
0: people yes. inject like, I mean, Botox, Botox is like is a similar toxin. Botox botulinum though. Right. Yeah. It's, it's so l- it's
1: the same. It's a little sister of
0: tetany. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it does the opposite, right? Doesn't it? It relaxes your muscles. Is that what it, how it works? Well, I guess that, that is a good question. I'm actually not 100% sure because I know. So, Botox also
1: is a very, if you're going to get Botox, please get it from a, a, a trusted source. Please. Because Clostridium uh, botulinum causes botulism, mm-hmm. right? And that is also incredibly scary and right. very difficult to come back from. And it essentially, I think it is a muscle relaxant. Maybe I, I
0: want to say that they are, yeah, that they do the tetanus and botulism have opposite effects. I could uh-huh, be wrong, uh-huh. and if I'm wrong, then I we will redact all. Yes, of this. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'll have a correction later. But I, I want to say that it does relax, yeah, your muscles yeah. to but a toxic, you know, yes point.
1: <laughs> but if you get botulism, you basically kind of have a stroke, and right. that and then you die from that. So uh, there's a higher chance, though, of you surviving botulism Mm -hmm. than surviving tetanus surviving tetanus is really low the survival rate for tetanus is really really low so i I think it's pretty low crazy very crazy but (laughs) for botulism it's a little higher but yeah so it it basically causes stroke but both of those do have toxic effects in our bodies Mm. yeah so tetanus um, the tetanus shot, which you would get with Tdap, right, which would be te- right. tetanus, what diphtheria, and pertussis, which is whooping mm-hmm. cough, you kind of get that all in one thing. Tetanus is a very important uh, shot that I think everybody should get. Because while it's very rare, it's similar to rabies where it's like once you have it, it's it's really painful and mm-hmm. it's almost impossible for you to recover. So get that shot, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. yeah. Shots,
0: shots, 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 shot, shot, shot,
1: <laughs> shots, shots. Yeah, we'll be doing shots and taking shots all day, yeah. you know, so.
0: That is what it is.
1: <laughs> so that's a toxoid vaccine. And then we get into some of these newer technologies um, and we can talk and compare and contrast. We mm-hmm. have viral vector vaccines and then mRNA vaccines, which yeah. is incredibly new technology. But before we get into mRNA vaccines, I just want to first touch on viral vector vaccines, which is the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, Right. right? uh so viral vector vaccines essentially use a modified version of a different virus Mm -hmm. as the vector to introduce components of the virus you're trying to vaccinate against into the cell right so that the viral vector vaccine is actually trying to create something called a cell mediated immune response so it's trying to prepare the t cells and the b cells it's trying to prepare Mm -hmm. the cells for battle, not necessarily building an antibody army. Mm-hmm. So it's going to use the virus as a this th- like a common one would be adenovirus, right? Right. It's going to use a weaker virus, uh, and it's going to use a virus that it knows is not going to cause any sort of infection in your body to introduce the other viral components into your cells so that they can build antigens against them. Right. Uh, So that they can present the pieces of the virus on their surface and they can start building that immune response. Right. So the reason why viral vector vaccines seem so appealing from what I read is that they are very small. Mm -hmm. So they're super non-invasive, which means that it's really easy to guarantee that they're not going to cause adverse health effects outside of the vaccine introduction.
0: Interesting.
1: So that's my understanding of why it is effective, why it is a good choice. The right. problem is that it's a little bit less exact. Right. right. So uh, there's trade-offs there. Like there's trade-offs with mm-hmm. every vaccine, which also might explain why the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is a little bit less effective right. than Moderna and Pfizer, for example. Right. So that is the viral vector vaccine. Cool. Uh, And then in comparison, there's the mRNA vaccines. Yes. Uh, And so all I have for that really is that basically we're introducing the last part of how our body makes proteins into the cell, which is mRNA.
0: Right.
1: And we're basically telling our cell biological system, we're reprogramming it to make the protein that corresponds to a piece of our virus mm-hmm. that we want to be immune against. And uh, then th- our body makes the antigen and presents the antigen itself. Right. And that is what mounts the immune response.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I did a, a decent amount of <laughs> research on mRNA vaccines. Um, I also just think that they're really interesting and unique. And I think it's a really cool um, from like a science background thinking about how vaccines are designed it's a cool way to cool new way to design a way to get ourselves vaccinated Um, so yeah I I feel like you summed it up really well Um, our mRNA vaccines um, or messenger RNA vaccines basically just work by giving ourselves the instruction manual on how to make a certain protein um, that's then used to trigger the immune system within the body so um I kind of I do want to talk a little bit about the difference between like mRNA and DNA, just because I've I've had people in my own family ask me and be like, well, what's I don't understand like what's the difference between mRNA DNA? They're both you know genetic material kind of a thing. Um, so mRNA is used every day by our bodies. Like it's it's not like this some weird crazy alien thing that we're only viruses have or something that we're injecting into ourselves. It's a form of genetic material um, and it basically gives the body or your cells instructions on how to make the proteins it needs so like for example the pigment that makes your eye color the color it is or whatever so every cell in our body contains our entire like big genetic code I like to think of it as like a huge ginormous instruction manual Um, and that every single cell contains that big manual so every single cell has the instructions on how to make everything in your body so like your eyeballs have the instructions on how to make your eyeballs but also how to make your feet your toes your whatever Mm. um so that big huge manual is your dna the mrna are the instructions that are actually being actively used in like any given cell Mm. so it's like regulated through a bunch of different you know fancy biological (laughs) pathways (laughs) biological processes really but i won't get into that but if we think about like your eyes so essentially like your eyes only want to make proteins that you know your eyeballs need like you don't want a finger growing out of your eye you don't no I personally would not like a finger maybe you have a different opinion maybe oh, I we don't can know.
1: Finger <laughs> eyes seem kind of sick to me I, I mean, don't know what their use could be but it's I'd just be down re- to give it a shot
0: is it a finger coming out of your eye or do you think it would be more like an eyeball that's like in the shape of a finger where your eye should be
1: oh like a crab kind of has an eyeball like would you rather have
0: an eyeball shaped or finger shaped eyeball or an eyeball on your finger
1: I just want (laughs) to add what if we had finger yeah a finger shaped eyeball
0: the dexterity that's the true. way that we
1: could look around. I feel like our
0: eyesight would be so Innovation,
1: good. Evolution. What are we doing? Yeah, excuse we me. We are so weak. I would like to have this. I would I like need, to have I need eyeballs.
0: Th- this new update.
1: Please give me the next generation of human. Like, what is going on? Oh my god. Oh gosh. Uh, <sighs> but yeah, okay. So, so if you're we not don't Anna. want that. Right. Yeah. If you're not me, we don't want fingers growing out of our eyeballs. I get it. Right. I get it. I get it.
0: So what happens is basically like your eyeball cells, there are, you know, all those complex mechanisms can read your DNA instruction manual and they'll generate eyeball mRNA. So they'll read the eyeball chapter only. They're not going to read the finger chapters. Right, right. Um, and since this mRNA is only from the eyeball chapter, it only gives you instructions on how to make eyeball proteins. Right. So this is what we're kind of stimulating or simulating. Sorry for rna vaccines so we give our cells mrna that says make this tiny bit of protein but not the whole virus or Mm -hmm. the microbe Mm -hmm. so in that way it's kind of similar to the subunit uh type of vaccination because it's saying make this tiny little piece don't make this entire virus Mm -hmm. so with the case of the covid vaccines the mrna that's in the vaccine is a spike protein Mm -hmm. that is on the surface of the sars cov 2 virus um, and our cells basically uh Look at the instructions that's being given to them and say, oh, that's an mRNA. I'm going to make a spike protein out of it because Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, They do what they're told.
0: Yes. They're
1: not going to question the mRNA (laughs) that's being given to them because they have a lot of trust for the steps before them that they're handing them the right mRNA. Right. So they do what they're told and they just build
0: the, um, the protein. Yes. So they build the protein and then that mRNA is degraded, right? It's gone. It doesn't last very long in our cells. And that's true for mRNA that's, you know, normally being used to make proteins in your cells. And then also for, in the case of the mRNA vaccine.
1: Because our cells only have so much room. Right. So we can't just have a bunch of junk mRNA that's already been used just kind of floating around. (laughs) Like we
0: don't have the space for that in these cells,
1: right? So yeah, it gets degraded. It gets dissolved pretty much. Yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's like if you kept every single instruction manual for like every piece of IKEA furniture that you've ever built in your life, and you're like, "What? I can't store you all don't this." Do that. No, I don't. I throw it away. And then when I <laughs> need <laughs> to move, and take things apart, I don't know how to do it. Uh, see,
1: <laughs> maybe it's smart if you keep all the instructions. Yes, but that's not it what everybody does. Takes our up a lot of space. <laughs> <but> <laughs> yeah, um, I understand. Yes. Except, imagine though, if you could, if you would burn all of these ikea instruction manuals and then when we needed them again one would just like appear for us that's kind of what our body does which is yeah. why it's comfortable just right. burning mrna <laughs> yes because we have it it's stored stock. somewhere else yeah. yeah so we can always bring it back if we need it yeah right
0: so our, our cells basically then take this spike protein that was made um via the instructions from our mrna vaccine and it, it does like a show and tell with our immune cells. It, it displays them on the you know outside of their cell membrane. And it goes, hey, look, look what I made. Aren't you proud of me? Do you like this? I made this for you. And the immune system says, bad job. The immune system goes, what the fuck is that? That's not ours. <laughs> what this is reminds that? reminds me of my
1: mom <laughs> when I came home with my kindergarten art projects. And I said, do you like it? And she said, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and that's why i
0: switched to science i was just sorry this is a complete sidebar i was just cleaning out my mom's uh garage for mother's day we were going through a bunch of like old shitty drawings that like me or my brother had done and i was like do you have a personal attachment to these like why do we still have these around she's like honestly i have no idea why i saved these like we should just get rid of everything because everything you guys did wasn't like oh. <laughs> particularly Savage. brilliant. Um no. I, but, true. but so true. But then when I went to throw them away, she was like, Oh well maybe I'll keep keep them." So she is a little bit sentimental. She's a little attached. But she knows she just, yeah, had to I mean for me, me
1: if my kid brought home something and it wasn't great, I too would probably tell them that it's the best piece of art I've ever seen and then like store it out of politeness. Yeah. See yeah. I
0: would just be like what is this? What the fuck is this? (laughs)
1: Just like our immune system.
0: Teach him young. You think this
1: is good? (laughs) Autophagy. We're about to kill
0: you. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what happens. Um, So what happens next is what happens in like a natural infection, right? Um, Your immune cells are like, hey, this is a piece of a virus or a piece of a protein that I don't recognize. I'm going to make a bunch of antibodies. I'm going to mount this whole big immune response. Um, against this protein.
1: So we've this got protein. this little cell that's like, hey, ta-da, I made a thing, and the body's like, bad job, and he, then kills it. Yes. That's pretty
0: much <laughs> what happens. Kills it and then makes antibodies to make sure all the other cells know not to Never make that. Never do it again. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, so by the end of this, our body knows and our cells know what the spike protein looks like, and we're able to protect against a future infection if it ever sees that particular protein again. Uh, so that's my wow. long-winded explanation of what an mRNA virus does. And an incredible <laughs> or mRNA <explanation>. vaccine does. <laughs>
1: and an incredible explanation at that. Thank but you. I feel like there is a lot of misconceptions mm-hmm. about what an mRNA vaccine is Absolutely. Uh, and what it does uh, and what COVID-19 vaccines, the goal of them are. And I think that that leads to a lot of fear uh, yes. that causes a lot of damage. Uh, so let's get into some of those misconceptions if you don't mind because yeah i feel like uh if we can unpack some of those misconceptions for you uh then we've done our
0: job <laughs> i also i, I do want to point out too that you know mrna vaccines are fairly new but they're not technology like, is not that the new. technology is not new and it's not the first time that we've even studied mrna vaccines like so we've used mrna vaccines for um things like the flu zika rabies and cmv like i mean not on like a Big scale, but for research purposes, we have all this data on, you know, how we can make them safer and more effective and stuff. So it's not like we, you know, rush to d- make this new fancy um, type of vaccine just because COVID came out.
1: And mRNA technology in itself, the programming of our cells to build certain right. components, is something that is continuing to be studied mm-hmm. in different contexts, especially within like cancer biology, for yeah. example. So the technology has been studied. And I think it's a really good point to point out that uh, pretty much what's going on in labs right now is the tech that will be discussed in about 20 years. Right. So if you think about it, maybe you're we are just being introduced to what an mRNA vaccine is or what mRNA technology is mm-hmm. now. But that means that it's been worked on for a very long time. Right. I think it's been at least a decade.
0: It's, that we It's been, been about it. 30 years. 30 yeah Years. Mm-hmm. exactly and you know who was working on it coincidentally yeah. Pfizer <gasps> <laughs> Moderna <laughs> which is why we get you know these companies that were able to so quickly push out or one of the reasons why these vaccines were so quick because these are also the companies that have been studying this technology
1: and also they've been studying this technology within the context of coronaviruses as well with right. the mers outbreak mm-hmm. which is is maybe why i thought maybe about a decade because the mers outbreak was a little bit right. uh, a little bit over a decade ago and the first this is basically an adapted version right Yes yeah. of, of the mers vaccine right. that they had been developing and so that outbreak is kind of what prompted this mrna vaccine studies that have been have been continued to go on right
0: And I and I had looked a little bit at um, you know the development of like this kind of technology and the thought process like later on down the line, which is I think really cool, is that these virus or these types of vaccines can be used um, potentially to vaccinate against several viruses at once, kind of like the Tdap, um, but really quickly because you could just do like seven different, different yeah, exactly at once. So instead of having to get like a bunch of different. Um, I immuniz- mean immunizations I knew I was going to struggle <laughs> on that word and yet I still went for it um immunizations, immunizations. um you could get like one against multiple viruses wow. which is really interesting
1: yeah and I'm really curious to see how long the response is mounted for right. us with this with with COVID mm-hmm. and and I don't know if the response is mounted if we have a weaker immune response with time just because our immune system forgets, has a weak memory when it comes to COVID, or if we have a weaker response with time because of different strains of coronavirus kind of coming out and Mm -hmm. bouncing around. But I am curious to see how our immunity lasts and when we really will need to start, you know, developing boosters and such. Because if we could just get, if we could just introduce a vaccine that kind of gives us all of the different, uh, immunity to all of the different pathogens that we right. might encounter that would be incredible right uh, <laughs> as long as we can make them easier to store and easier to distribute that's another really important component yeah, yeah definitely yeah. but yeah going back just to some of the misconceptions mm-hmm. uh just because i think especially with the mrna vaccine yeah especially in our field we hear a lot of those misconceptions right we hear yeah. a lot of those fears and it's one of our right. jobs to really try to figure out how to dissect those mm-hmm. those misconceptions and fears and really try to assure that this science is sound and that these things are safe. Absolutely. So um just getting into that, I mean some of the misconceptions if you want to jump in. Yeah,
0: I have and I have some about um, you know, COVID the COVID vaccines in particular that I kind of um I did some research on. So I, I do want to say that this a lot of the info that I'm about to talk about, um, is from Johns Hopkins. It's in an article published on their website online, um, and it features Lisa Marga Maracus, who's an MD MPH, and the Senior Director of Infectious Prevention, um, Infection Prevention, sorry. And then Gabor Kellen, who's an MD and the Director of the Johns Hopkins Office of Critical Event Preparedness and Response.
1: <laughs> uh, I trust Facebook a little bit more than yeah. these people. Yeah, so
0: these are, they're gonna explain, I. Um, took some of their words to explain how some of these myths are untrue. Because well, I can't say better. thank you to both
1: of these doctors yes. <laughs> for breaking it down for us.
0: Um, so one of the ones that I had heard recently that I didn't even hear circulating, honestly, until about a week ago, but I guess apparently it's been out there. Um, one of the myths is that COVID-19 vaccines are going to affect women's fertility. Tis untrue. <laughs> Very untrue. So... Th- where this myth kind of came out of is it was a where this myth came out of was because of a social media thing, of course, um, and it was basically a false report that was saying that the COVID spike protein, which we've talked a lot about, and that's you know what we're immunizing against for our vaccines, um, is the same as a another spike protein known as known as Sin One. So, syncytin-1 is a protein that's involved in the growth and attachment of the placenta during pregnancy. Um, And this false report basically was trying to say that getting the COVID vaccine is going to cause a woman's body to fight against this other spike protein and affect fertility. But this is untrue because, again, if you think about, like, our vaccines... Giving a fingerprint of what the virus is. Those are different
1: fingerprints. They're different
0: fingerprints completely. So yeah. they're so they are. There was a lot of hype around, you know, this is a spike protein and this is a spike protein. And to the general public, that might be convincing, right? And so your, the report was essentially trying to suggest that your body would immunize against this other spike protein, regardless of the fingerprints being entirely different. So for some a little bit more evidence uh, during the Pfizer vaccine clinical trials. Uh, there's about 23 women volunteers that were in the study that did become pregnant um, and the only one who suffered a pregnancy loss didn't even receive the actual vaccine it was the placebo mm. so that's from a different there's no evidence and also to support on top that.
1: of that uh the johnson and johnson vaccine got halted right because right. it was m- maybe causing an increase in blood, blood clots and so that kind of goes into and and this is something that we can talk about just mm-hmm. when it comes to all vaccines and fears of all vaccines correlation does not equal causation right and that has been beaten into me since my first day of freshman year in microbiology right it's correlation does not equal causation Mm -hmm. so just because we see okay this person had the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and also they got blood clots does not mean that it was the Johnson & Johnson vaccines fault that 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 person got blood clots and in fact we I think after they they continued Uh, they unpaused the johnson and johnson's uh, vaccination schedule right was because they saw that there was no spike in blood clots in people that had the johnson and johnson vaccine as opposed to just general the general population and so i want to make it a really important point that sometimes things get caught because those people are under a lens Mm -hmm. when they sign up for these studies. Right. So underlying conditions that maybe aren't related to what they're going to the treatment for Mm -hmm. may get caught because they're under a much sharper lens than the average person. Absolutely. Which means that if they're going to medical check checkups and they're getting blood draws and they're trying to make sure that there's no side effects from the Johnson Johnson vaccine for example, they may catch other things they may catch other symptoms that aren't related to the johnson and johnson vaccine at all that aren't related to these vaccines at all Uh, But they still have to make note of it in the final
0: reports, right? Right, because it's all a big story. Like you can't just we don't pick and choose, right? What we We can't take
1: out certain pieces of the story. All of it has to be there, which is why you know we should trust that it's Mm -hmm. it's all there and it's reliable that we can see that there were these increase in blood clot because Mm -hmm. of this vaccine, right? And we can start developing certain potential theories for why that's happening right but once those theories are tested and it turns out that the results are negative then we got to move on and and right. you can't in order to get the vaccine approved we have to prove that that the results are negative that there is right. no causation between those two and so that is the only way to get it into more approved stages right and so after that we got to move on and it is still there it's in the books it's reported mm-hmm. But the causation isn't there, mm-hmm. uh, and there's no yeah. reason to to reassess that.
0: Right, and it's also, I mean, you have to weigh the risks a little bit too. Like, okay, you know, this could be a risk factor that we're going to look into. You know, we'll stop, you know, the vaccine production if it is true. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have to look at how, you know, is the virus going to do something similar? Like, I know COVID increases your risk of blood clots more than they were saying the vaccine did when they originally mm-hmm. stopped it. Hey. Um,
1: also, my IUD increases my risk of blood clots yes. more than the John Johnson and Johnson vaccine. So
0: does my birth control pills. So I
1: mean, and we have to be on that, okay? Right. So it's fun. What are we? <laughs> what are we doing?
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, kind of going back to the along in that same vein with the pregnancy thing, like getting COVID nineteen. Actually, does have serious impacts on pregnancy. <laughs> right,
1: right, exactly.
0: Um, just like at a baseline, high fevers in pregnancy, especially in the first trimester, can raise the risk of birth defects. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I wouldn't want. And I wouldn't it goes back that. to
1: that thing of I would much rather have weaker version of certain side certain side effects or certain pieces of the immune response right. by getting the vaccine. Than actually getting what the virus could cause in right. my body. Right.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Um, there's also a report from 2020 in September from the CDC that um, showed the birth outcomes of 598 women who were found um, who were pregnant, um, and it found that pregnant women with COVID-19 were way more likely to be hospitalized and require ICU um, admission with about 55 percent of those that are hospitalized being asymptomatic mm. so it's not even that you have super bad reaction to COVID-19 it's like having COVID-19 is giving you a higher chance of being mm. hospitalized mm-hmm. which is interesting mm-hmm.
1: which is causation right, right? <laughs> so that's what we really need
0: to break down I mean distinguishing we, between right. we yeah. do need more studies to confirm right the actual you know nitty-gritty details of, of how course. that happens but yeah there's a difference between
1: yeah there's a difference between two things that are seen together in tandem and two things that are actually related Mm -hmm. or causing one another and that's really what we're focusing on when we're looking at the stages of FDA approval for clinical trials, right? So we're really trying to make sure that uh, we assess the side effects and assess the safety and that the safety is, the risks uh, don't outweigh the benefits and that those risks are relatively low and that there's no causation between right. the treatment
0: and serious severe side effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um another I have I've have like three myths. Um my second myth is if you've already had COVID, you don't need to be vaccinated, right? So this is also untrue. Um so there's clearly you have severe health risks associated with COVID-19. Um, but there's also with this virus in particular, there's a possibility of reinfection. So, early evidence um, that we're seeing, especially right now, is that the natural immunity that we're getting from COVID, meaning you're not vaccinated, but you were exposed and got sick or didn't get sick or whatever, um, the natural immunity from COVID that we get isn't lasting super long, although we do need more studies to better understand this. Um, And I kind of, this is sort of in the same vein um, for me as, you know, the people who are like, oh, I'm not worried about getting super sick, so I'm not going to go get the vaccine, or the people who are just saying like oh well, I'm just gonna get coronavirus and then I'll be fine and get it mm-hmm. over with and I don't need the vaccine the fact is that we know a lot more about like long-term effects of vaccines in general than we do about coronavirus mm-hmm. and SARS-CoV-2 mm-hmm. um, and I like to think about like the chicken pox so if you have chicken pox as a kid right there's a chance that you can get shingles as an adult Mm. Um, so if like, you're a kid, you know, hanging out at a chicken pox party that they used to send kids to. <laughs> I don't know but who could ever have I gone don't to know. one of those. Almost. <laughs> I've never heard of that in my life. I
1: went to a chicken pox party yeah. last <laughs> kid, Just so everyone is clear. I did not get uh, the chicken pox vaccine. I actually went to a pox party. So, And we can Fun. get into this a little yeah, bit more later. Of course. But my parents, uh, I was raised in an anti-vax household. Uh, so we can unpack that a little bit more <laughs> on this episode. So sorry, mom and dad, for going into molecular biology, which is probably like their worst nightmare in some <laughs> ways, but they're very proud of me. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I was raised in an anti-vax household. Uh, so instead of getting the chickenpox vaccine, I was actually taken to somebody's house and uh, drank out of the same cups as my friends <laughs> who had the chicken pox. Did the you same have lollipops?
0: Did you have any idea like what was happening, or were you just like hanging out? I was out? like
1: two years old. Oh, okay. I w- I think my my older brother also went, so both of us did go. And he. Was really scared because basically my mom was like, "Hi, I'm going to give you sickness." And his friends, <laughs> hello, young child. <laughs> and his friends had itchy spots all over them, right. and that's really scary. And so I think he was really scared. But then as soon as we stepped into the house, my mom tells the story. As soon as we stepped into the house, um, he was really scared to like drink out of the same cups as my mm-hmm. friends and stuff. And uh, my mom goes, "Well, you're already breathing the same air as them, so it's too late." <laughs> Oh Which is also terrible. <laughs> That's so scary. But yeah, so um, I was two. So I don't really remember. You were just
0: having a blast. I was just like,
1: cool, You're looking like, lollipops and freaking drinking out of my friend's no cup. No one's yelling no at me deal. for double dipping. And then I got itchy, gross spots all over my body and I was having a terrible time. Right. And, and my mom timed it, actually. She said that she timed it with incubation periods mm-hmm. and all of that to make sure that we would be done with a with our infectious period before we went to our grandparent's house for Easter right (laughs) so she timed it anyway that's you know (laughs) that's a story for another day but my mom did time it uh, to make sure that we would be done with that infectious period and that is how i got potty trained because diapers were so painful for me
0: oh no that i couldn't
1: wear them yeah so she just was like cool so now she has chicken pox um so she has immunity to that i guess and then also she is now potty trained Cool. also Sick. there's
0: something profoundly funny to me about being an anti-vaxxer and then using the same principles that the vaccine <laughs> uses To make sure your kids have an immune. But
1: worse, because I (laughs) got actually exposed to the actual virus that could cause actual problems (laughs) instead of being exposed to the weakened version of the virus. Right. Right. Is it a live attenuated virus? I think I believe so. Uh, Yes, it's a live attenuated virus. So instead of getting exposed to the weakened version of the virus to build the same lifetime immune Immunity. I actually just got exposed to the real thing, which could have caused serious damage right. <laughs> to it's cause lifetime immunity. Because that's what my mom wanted. The end result was that she wanted lifetime right. immunity against. She pox. went
0: so anti-vax. <sighs> she accidented herself into pro-vax. Into <laughs> pro-vax. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh! And it's funny because you know, with chickenpox, you can get shingles, which is essentially yes. when you're infected with a as a kid with the pox. um <laughs> And the virus can lie inactive for years and years and years um, and then later reactivate. Yay. And then it's, you know, not normally a life-threatening condition, but it can still be super painful. Super painful. And the, the kind of to bring it back to COVID-19, right, is the the fact of the matter is we don't know, like, what's going to happen long term for the people that have been, you know, infected with COVID-19. So I, if I'm hedging bets, right, on the vaccine versus the virus, I'm going to, I would bet on the vaccine... <laughs>
1: Exactly. Again, it's just about lowering our personal risk to causing the most severe symptoms. And I'm going to guess that the vaccine, I'm going to make a very, very educated guess, that the vaccine is going to cause a lot less damage to our bodies than if I actually got COVID. Right. And we don't know what COVID can do, but we do know what this vaccine can do.
0: Right. Or we at least have more clear data and it's controlled. Yes, exactly. Um, which is an important distinction yeah Um, the other myth is i have two more i guess but one myth is (laughs) that the vaccine is a microchip in it um if you think this i think you're just beyond all help that i can give you so we'll just move on (laughs) um myth the other myth the final myth that i want to talk about with covid that i think is also important um is that the vaccines were super rushed so they can't be safe or effective
1: okay first i want to say something about the microchip thing yes if you have an iPhone... <laughs> right. If you have a computer, they know everything about you. If you use TikTok,
0: they know more <laughs> about you than you know about yourself. I <laughs> okay? I legitimately... It makes me laugh so much because it's also like, why do you think that the government cares what you're doing? Why? Know, what what makes, makes you so, so important? important?
1: <laughs> Seriously. I, it's... I, you know, my narcissistic quality is that of course <laughs> the government wants to know what I am up to. They Out of <laughs> all the other people in this country they want to know what I am up to uh, right. because I do such important things like making podcasts and failing experiments every single day. They really want to
0: know that. And shopping online while I'm supposed to be listening to a meeting. Right. Or, so whatever. <laughs> or
1: whatever. But on to myth number four, right? Yes. Uh, if you just want to repeat myth number four.
0: Yeah, uh, so it's basically saying that people are afraid of uh, the vaccine because they think it's too rushed and so it couldn't have been safe um, or effective
1: right and that goes back to this technology has been around for 30 years right yes uh we've had vaccines similar to this kind of in the works for over a decade
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the f the way to get a vaccine fda approved even though it was an emergency fda approval it still required fda approval right right? there
0: was no and that's what i feel like is maybe people don't understand it's not like the vaccine developers you know skipped any testing steps because they were like oh well we have to get this out you know the steps were just conducted more um on an overlapping schedule overlapping
1: exactly so maybe we didn't get so so we can let me break down like the fda phases for perfect timing so uh first before any sort of treatment can even go into vaccine, uh, the, the approval stages, mm-hmm. the FDA approval stages, it goes through its preclinical trials, which is what we do, which is a lot of, you know, cell work mm-hmm. and mouse work and uh, animal testing and things like that to understand the what the biology of the system is. Right. And to ta- to understand which pathways the treatment might be targeting, to really get a better idea of the actual biological mechanisms that a treatment is going to use to cause an effect, okay? okay. So that's like before we can even start clinical trials, we already have a pretty strong understanding of like what what the treatment is going to be doing in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And that is, you have to have a bunch of evidence to support that this (laughs) is going to be effective before you can start putting it into human people. Okay. Because like, that's the last thing that we want to do is like put something into a human person and then have it cause a bunch of crazy things and cause a bunch of damage. Right. Like the, it's actually our job to limit risk, even on an animal scale Mm -hmm. to limit health effects and to limit risk when testing these, uh, when testing these treatments and these therapies, Mm -hmm. that's like our first, that's one of our first priorities. It's our job. Like it's in our contract, right? Right. So we do all the preclinical trial, trial stuff, and then we apply for, and let's just say we get approved for clinical trial stage one. Mm -hmm. So in clinical trial stage one, phase one, What we're doing is we're testing this experimental drug in a really small group of people for the very first time so sometimes these people might have health effects that are associated uh, and and they really want to test what it's going to be like within these groups Mm -hmm. but we're testing in a really small group of people sometimes like 10 people just to see what's happening and in this stage we're also trying to understand what the best dose is So we're giving smaller doses all the way up until larger doses to see which one is going to be give the best therapeutic effects without causing with while causing the least amount of damage. Right. Okay. so that's clinical phase trial phase one. Let's just say we pass that, which, by the way, does not happen very often. Right. Yeah. It's very difficult to get out of each clinical trial phase, mm-hmm. okay? But let's just say we get out of clinical trial phase one. Now we're in clinical fu- trial phase two. And there are, by the way, there are like
0: ABCs to all of right. this. Right. Okay? Because, of course, because so everything has to be complicated. Right.
1: And and also, this should
0: be complicated. Right. Yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like I'm not I complaining. I this to be complicated, <laughs> no, but it is. I would actually like to be given lots of non-FDA approved <laughs> drugs. Just, I mean, I would. Like, give it to my
1: body. <laughs> right but maybe but yeah. one of them will work <laughs> so that's more appealing right is it something that's not FDA approved shoot it in me you know what I mean
0: no <laughs> all drug users think about that
1: <laughs> but uh when something let's just say we do get approved for phase one now we're into phase two in phase two what we're actually trying to understand is whether or not we're putting this into a larger group of people everyone's getting the same do- dose and we're trying to focus more on the safety of the drug So we're testing in a more diverse population. We're trying to see the effects in different diverse groups, some with health effects, some without. We're really trying to assess the safety of the dose that we've decided is the best dose. Mm -hmm. That's phase two. Then if we're lucky, (laughs) we pass phase two. All Right. right. A lot of a lot of treatments don't make it past phase two we get into phase three and phase three is the last phase that you have to make it past in order to get something FDA approved. Okay. And so in phase three, this is when we're doing our experimental drug trial on a large scale. Mm -hmm. It's going to be on a really large group of people and we're confirming the effectiveness and monitoring its effects within a large scale. And we're also comparing those effects. To the alternative therapies that are out there, and we do kind of a cost-benefit analysis. We look at all of the different effects, and if we decide that it's not only safe, which is what we've des- we've decided a dose in phase one, we've decided it's safety in phase two, mm-hmm. and now we've decided that it's more effective and less risky than any of the current therapies that are out there, right. it passes phase three, and that is so hard to do okay right and once it's phase three it can actually be disseminated
0: into the public Mm -hmm. and there is a phase four but that's really to look at after effects right and that's that's ongoing right that that's you know it'll be for years and years and years yes that we're in phase four yeah but uh so currently the fda is
1: now All of these have gone through the three phases, Mm -hmm. right? But FDA gave emergency approval, which means that maybe they approved it a little bit faster. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to go through the same bureaucratic process that every other therapy has to go through. They maybe pushed the paperwork along a little bit quicker than they normally would. But they still had to prove
0: without a doubt that this treatment was going to be effective and safe. Yeah, like the, the trials moved faster, but it's not like they, you know... (laughs) ignored the data to make it move faster like maybe
1: they did phase two and three at the same time but they still did phase two and phase three where maybe you'd have to go
0: chronologically and and that's what i think a lot of it is is some of it's like overlapping and i think oh gosh i had read somewhere like exactly what which phases were you know the most overlapping and i want to say it was like earlier on um with some of the pre-clinical stuff in the Mm -hmm. phase one but Mm -hmm. and we also have to think about like the amount of money that was poured into the vaccine development like worldwide was insane like billions on billions of dollars if
1: that's how all of science worked we would be making we would be rapidly innovating in this field yeah, absolutely so basically what i'm saying is please give us more money yes. because <laughs> we want to do our
0: jobs please but give we need me more money. personally more money you can venmo me at <laughs>
1: uh but yeah so there was a lot of money that was poured into this industry right yeah so much money and there was so much support from every single government to to do this Mm -hmm. and if all of science worked like this we would be innovating at such a faster pace right okay so that's a really big
0: part of it completely yeah yeah and the collaboration basically worldwide was also you know something that we haven't really seen before you know, we have a bunch of data sharing between all these countries that normally might not talk to each other. Yeah. But because we have a global pandemic, it's like, hey, <laughs> we got to figure this out, guys.
1: But that's how I mean. That's how it should be always.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. Because
1: think about how quickly we got this done, and yeah, that's really scary. But to on the outside, without understanding some of the the processes that they would have had to mm-hmm. go through, that seems really scary. Like, how did we just come out with this? Right. But like, at, from a scientist perspective, from like me being a researcher where it takes so long to get anything done. Yes. (laughs) This is, uh, it was like an incredible feat to Mm -hmm. watch right before my very eyes because like this was incredible and the collaboration
0: between different groups was incredible and it's like exactly what I dreamed science should be like when I was a little girl. Right. It was, you know, essentially science with very limited bureaucracy. Yeah. Which is how it, and I think there's a distinction between, you know, the vaccine came out quickly but it didn't, it wasn't rushed. Yes. Right. Exactly. It was quickly, but not rushed.
1: Yeah, yeah. Those yeah.
0: are my those are my big three uh, or four. I guess COVID myths. <laughs> those
1: are the big four myths for COVID. Yeah, but there are a lot of myths in in general. In general, when it comes to vaccines, and right. that's actually something that, if we go back uh, to talk a little bit about me growing up in an anti-vax household, I was exposed to a lot of these myths early on. Right. And to be completely fair, I was anti-vax until I got to college probably right um, and it was pretty quick that I made it out of the anti-vax bubble uh, but you know I was anti-vax because it's all I had ever been taught right um, and so I had always been taught the counters to any sort of mm-hmm. I'd always been taught the myths and not the facts if that makes right. sense um, and then at, like pretty much like I said like the first microbiome class that I got uh, that I took in undergrad they walk you through like what a vaccine is and what it does mm-hmm. and i went home and i was like hey mom <laughs> i think i'm pro-vax and that was a pretty big pretty big deal that was yeah. a pretty big rebellion rebellion re- quote rebellious yeah. phase. <laughs> um but and here we are uh, years later so but some anyway. kids <laughs>
0: sneak out of the house you tell your mom that you want to get vaccinated yeah uh, yep. <laughs> so, yeah some people sneak
1: out of the house some people drink too much behind their mom's back i got my hpv vaccine without telling her okay mm-hmm. like seriously yeah and and i convinced my brothers to get their vaccines without telling right her, right so i mean that's that's huge and um, but because of that i think that i can share a little bit more of the perspective of mm-hmm. people who are anti-vax and so i do understand if if i i want to believe that every single anti-vax parent just like my mom wanted the best for me and right. wanted to give me the best and when i was born in 1998 mm-hmm. and so that is when that uh study was released in the lancet um mm-hmm. that basically <laughs> the infamous study the infamous study that was uh was published in the Lancet by um, Andrew Wakefield. I won't even call him doctor.
0: No, because he's no, he got it revoked, didn't yep. he? <laughs> I'm pretty
1: sure he did. Yep. Um. So that study was published in 1998, which is the year I was born. Mm-hmm. And you have this information out there now. When you're still unsure, and now you have this information being pushed to you from like a large media source right. in a tangible, digestible way that is saying that vaccines are dangerous for Mm -hmm. your children. That would cause me to question too. Right. And I want the best for my baby, Mm -hmm. so that would cause me to question too. And so I understand why there is fear. But I do want to say that there is so much more. There is an abundance of information out there that goes against that rhetoric Mm -hmm. that goes against what that vaccines aren't safe. Right, that when you look at it, and it's ninety nine p- people telling you that something is safe for you, and one person saying it's dangerous,
0: and they're a lawyer who's trying and to get, and they have <laughs> complete
1: ulterior motives, and they're yeah. trying to make their own vaccine against right. the same thing, and they're also, Absolutely. you know, in they're building an autism testing kit conveniently that's going to be worth millions of dollars. Right. Yeah. <laughs> who are we going to trust? I mean, yeah. really,
0: and yeah, and I, I think that's a big point too. It's like you can be. I, like it's completely human to be afraid and to be you know questioning and be scared especially i mean now too with you know we're in a pandemic the yeah. you know social environment is already uneasy you know it's yeah. okay to feel afraid and to be you know wary about things that you don't understand but i do think then if you don't understand something then it is your job to then try and find the correct and factual story behind what's Absolutely. happening
1: Absolutely. you know
0: i mean you can be afraid and you could say i i don't know if i want to take this vaccine um but then go out and find resources that are going to say you know that are going to counter your own opinions right mm-hmm. um and if you're <laughs> typing in something into google and you're you know you're getting a thousand articles that are saying you know that this is working the vaccine's working and it's safe and then you have to go and you know fish for the one singular article published on some sketchy website
1: on a blog <laughs> and right. maybe
0: you should think about you know yeah. why you had to skip all those factual yeah. articles to find you know yeah. one that fits your own narrative yes,
1: absolutely there uh, there should be enough information this is what I went through is mm-hmm. that I was anti-vax and okay. then I was exposed to all of the information that was on the more pro-vax side which wasn't even about pro-vax but it was more like the biology of vaccines and like mm-hmm. the purpose of vaccines and the evidence for vaccines right and once I was exposed to that, I ha- I let my opinion shift and it's not right. even just an opinion, it's just
0: based on
1: the data. And I would trust those 99 people telling me that this is safe for me than that one. And and so we can if you 99 want 99
0: problems but a vaccine ain't one.
1: <laughs> exactly. <I'm> so sorry. <laughs> before please don't apologize. That was gorgeous. Sorry. had to, had to that get that in there fantastic. before. I was done. And I will say that uh, vaccines were a problem for me for a very long time mm-hmm. I wasn't vaccinated until after I turned 18 that's great then I could legally get vaccinated by myself but uh, before that I was not vaccinated at all right and then we had a measles outbreak at school and I was like mom I'm getting the measles vaccine you can't stop me yeah <laughs> mom please mom please I don't want to get the measles they won't even let me on campus because yeah. <laughs> I don't have my vaccine um, so little things like that. I mm-hmm. was like, Mom, I have to. And also, for the record, my mom's also now fully vaccinated. Mm-hmm. That's uh, awesome. Because we've had many a discussion. And I think um, she's now fully vaccinated in a, in a sense where I was saying, hey... I really don't, especially with COVID. I sat her down many times and I was very blunt with her and I was like, you could die from this. Right. You have underlying conditions. Mm-hmm. You have comorbidities. You, you always get bronchitis when you right. get the flu. Yeah. I don't want to risk this with you. Please get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And she did and that was a big w for me yeah and i think a big w for her overall right, right? like <laughs> her, she's safer yeah um but yeah so it's not to say that my mom still shares those same opinions but growing up i did grow up in a more right. anti-vax household yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: yeah no i mean that's awesome that she is able to you know listen to her daughter who's you know getting a phd in mo- molecular biology <laughs> Who just knows a little bit yeah <laughs> just a little
1: bit and so i'm i wouldn't want to put my mom's life at risk in the same Uh, way that she didn't want to put me at risk. Yeah. And so that's what it came down to. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we can jump into some of the myths. Yeah. Let's do uh, it. If you want to jump into some of the more general myths. Yeah. Okay. So the biggest myth out there, the first one that's incredibly, I think is the most important to unpack is that vaccines cause autism. (laughs) My (laughs) (laughs) favorite. I think it's everybody's favorite myth, right? I right? think it's the most well-known. It's the most well-known. And and to go back to that guy, Andrew Wakefield, mm-hmm. he's the one who caused this kind of association between, this mental association between vaccines and autism. Right, because okay. it's not a real Because it's not a real one. It's, it's, it, and so what happened is, in 1998, Andrew Wakefield and 12 of his colleagues... They released a study um, that basically showed some sort of correlation between vaccine, between the MMR vaccine, which is a standard, uh, routine vaccine that everyone's required to get, mm-hmm. measles, mumps, and rubella, is what it vaccinates you for, um, between the MMR vaccine and autism. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, and that story, study was released in the Lancet, uh, which is a national publication. Okay, later, <laughs> almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Other scientists came out and they gave evidence against that exact claim, okay? And then from that, a bunch of epidemiological studies were conducted and published that basically refuted, Mm -hmm. immediately refuted what Mr. Wakefield was saying, okay? Um, and, and, And then it came out very shortly after that that Andrew had financial interests in which he was not only, he was, one, making his own vaccine against Mm -hmm. MMR, okay? And he was funding his own vaccine against MMR. So it was in his best interest to prove that the current MMR vaccine would cause something like autism. Right. (laughs) Two, he was developing an autism testing kit, (laughs) okay? So it would also be in his best interest to say, hey, uh, MMR vaccine causes autism. Come get your child autism testing kit for me and then also get my version of the vaccine that doesn't cause autism absolutely so again he had so much financial interest in this so much okay so then after that the story was redacted from the lancet Mm -hmm. it was immediately redacted and since then there have oh and also he was involved with a bunch of attorneys that were um, against vaccine makers or right. something like that. So he had a bunch of different financial...
0: Some conflicting uh, interests <laughs> here. Just some financial yes.
1: And as a scientist, you're supposed to remain non-biased, right? Right. This
0: is, like, as biased as it can get. Well, even <sighs> aside from that, like, I remember reading that, like, some of this data wasn't even, like, interpreted correctly. correctly. Like, it's not even just, like, he had these interests and, you know, he just made the data fit you know his story it was no like this wasn't true facts and true like data that was being presented yeah like that's a yeah. big <laughs> issue yeah
1: it's a big red flag but again when you're seeing this just coming out right you're like ah. Oh, but then you're not going to read all of the epidemiological studies that go on to refute it right are you well you should but a lot of people <laughs> didn't right and so once the information's out there then it's already your mind's already made up now you think vaccines cause autism okay since then though just to unpack this myth i mean i could go on forever but Mm -hmm. this goes back to correlation does not equal causation Mm -hmm. i think when we talk about onset of autism and when we get our first mmr doses Mm -hmm. are around the same time around six months right right so conveniently after you've gotten your doses of your MMR vaccine, your child may start to present symptoms of autism, okay? Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that the MMR vaccine is causing right. <laughs> autism, yeah. okay? And so that's, that's the big catch-all, mm-hmm. is that kids do tend to show, start showing their early-onset symptoms of autism around that age. Yeah. And uh, so that's like the first big piece of it. And I could go into the nitty gritty, but we don't need to do that. I mean, that's really (laughs) what it's like correlation versus causation there.
0: It's like my favorite example of like correlation versus causation is murders and like ice cream sales both peak at the same time. And Mm -hmm. it's like, well, are you going to try and say that? ice cream causes more people to be murderous or is it you know some other factors that are going right, on right exactly and
1: then on top of that the safety like the immunization safety review committee
0: mm-hmm.
1: looked at a met did a meta-analysis so they basically looked at every published study ever done on <laughs> vaccines mm-hmm. and they were like nope vaccines do not cause autism they looked yeah. at every study ever done that should have put that entire thing
0: to rest right then right but it's not a fun story for people to latch on to and
1: just like just my personal thoughts on it is i would rather like i don't think autism is bad like we should we should (laughs) reframe this that's
0: a little bit yeah that's another huge issue with this it's like what's wrong with your child having autism like you're so afraid of your child having autism you're gonna not allow them to have a vaccine that could save save their life so they're their having autism is you know a bigger issue than their life to you, right? I mean, honestly, that's what it comes down to, right? <coughs>
1: like at, down down at the bottom of the, of this, really, really, that's what it comes down to is like you would rather your child potentially die
0: right. of
1: measles or mumps or rubella, for example, of any of these viruses. You would rather they die yeah. than have autism,
0: yeah. And it's it's not like the risk is super low for, you know, all these diseases either. It's not like Yeah. you know, a, a common cold it could or be. whatever. If everybody
1: got vaccinated, right. they'd be gone. <laughs> right. But yeah, it's not like the risk is low. Like whooping cough, like that's a big
0: deal. Yeah. Yeah, measles huge deal. Right. It's scary. It's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, and it just I feel like it invalidates, you know, people <laughs> with autism to say, right. "Well,
1: as though they can as though they are not high functioning members of our society right that contribute to our society right your fear of that mm-hmm.
0: overcomes your f- oh your fear of what like killing your child and it's yeah it's 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 a much deeper issue yeah. in and of itself
1: so that's like my last point on that yeah. is really like at the bottom line even if vaccines do cause autism which they do not
0: <laughs> to be talking clear. very clear <laughs>
1: vaccines do not cause autism. But even if they did, I would rather have my child have autism than die of of an illness. Okay? Right. So, that's that's the bottom line of that myth. So then moving on to the second myth is that the ingredients in the vaccines are worse than the actual diseases themselves. And and I think i could walk you through literally every single thing in a vaccine there are so many things right but just some of the highlights would be like formaldehyde Mm -hmm. and the thing is these names do sound really scary and in high doses they can cause a lot of Mm -hmm. issues okay but formaldehyde for example is an ingredient that's in vaccines okay formaldehyde is used to inactivate viruses and detoxify the bacterial toxins so that we don't inject you with the actual disease and make you really, really sick. Right. Okay. So, like, they are a detoxifying Mm -hmm. agent, right? Formaldehyde is a carcinogen in high doses. Right. But uh, it's also naturally produced in our bodies and it's used for a lot of important bodily functions. And a newborn baby is actually known to naturally have a higher concentration of formaldehyde than what is present in vaccines. I had no idea. I did not know that. So... We already have a higher amount of circulating formaldehyde in our bodies naturally, plus there's more formaldehyde just, like, floating around in our environment that we're exposed to on a regular basis. If you're going to,
0: like, live in Los Angeles, um, if you're going to breathe the air in a major city, I feel like you shouldn't be worried about within a vaccine. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Because... If you're going to eat... craft cheese singles like <laughs> those like cheddar cheese things that are just all chemicals. Yeah. Don't talk to me about vaccines. Please don't talk to me.
1: Please. Yes. And and that the
0: same could be said
1: about a lot of of the other components, right? So like aluminum for example. Mm. Aluminum is also naturally occurring higher in our bodies than the amount that's currently present in vaccines. Right. So, yes, aluminum on the f- on the freaking outside, scary. Very, very scary. But, like, in the actual context of how much aluminum we're just, like, putting into our bodies, it's really not a lot. It, it benefits us more than it harms us, if that makes any right. sense. So, you're not, like you're not inject you're not ingesting a bunch of aluminum you're not (laughs) injecting a bunch of aluminum into your body
0: please don't go inject aluminum and be like well Anna and Melanie told me that (laughs) it would be fine that bad
1: no but it's to say that like the dose of aluminum that you're putting into your body is so much lower in a vaccine than it is just in circulation and just to pull up like a statistic right children babies infants in the same period of time that a baby is exposed to um milligrams of aluminum from their vaccines, usually within the first six months of life is when they get their first routine vaccines, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they're also exposed to 10 milligrams from breast milk and 40 milligrams from regular formula or 120 milligrams from soy-based formula. So that's, it's just like, put it into context, you know? Yeah. Put it into context. Yes, aluminum seems scary, but if you think about the dose, you're right? you're really, it's not. And that's the goal. Why would... Uh, I don't want to shoot you up with aluminum. So we could go into, like, every single ingredient in mm-hmm. vaccines, but we can also just move on to the another myth <laughs> yeah. because I can well, go I feel on like, like The, this. I feel the like point the, has been made. Yeah. Yeah. The theme is the same. So then the third myth that I have written down is that uh, injecting a child with a bunch of vaccines will overwhelm their immune system and cause lifelong allergies and chronic illness like asthma.
0: Mm-hmm wrong. <laughs> Spo- spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. You're wrong. It's uh, these are all myths. I don't know if you heard, yeah, if you heard I think that. third a myth, but
1: <laughs> wrong. That's wrong. So anyway, bringing it back though. Bringing it back to causation. There is no causative link between vaccinations and an increase in chronic illness or allergies. There are so many other things that our children are exposed to that may cause an in, in a spike because we have seen an increase in allergies over the generations, but right. I will say we've seen an increase in a lot of things over generations and that's because our testing co- tools have gotten so much absolutely. better.
0: absolutely too yeah you know it's is, is it that you know kids in the fifties or sixties running around eating dirt didn't have any allergies or was it just that we weren't testing them for? for allergies or uh, you know higher instances of asthma or whatever it might be right
1: exactly exactly so like which one is it really coming down to and so maybe there is also a spike because but you could talk about any component air pollution sounds like you know air pollution can cause spikes in asthma Uh, absolutely our environment and what we eat and all of our stuff can cause asthma uh but i think it's really important to note that like a few anecdotal ev- pieces of anecdotal evidence, a few cases from parents that are claiming that their child developed these symptoms after they were vaccinated should not re- be what refutes like hard right. science. Yes. I also think that this myth is really due to a misunderstanding of how our immune system works. Yeah. Because so basically to fight an infection, I'll, I'll try to keep it brief, but to fight an infection, Our body produces uh, helper Mm t-cells a really important type of t-cell that um, is part of our immune system right and that helps regulate how our body responds to infection there are two types of helper t-cells that i'll focus on the first regulates responses to parasitic infections
0: that's when you have worms in your belly yep exactly (laughs)
1: that little helmets going on little wormy action no but here's the deal These T-cells that fight these parasitic infections promote the production of allergen-specific antibodies, IgE, okay. The other helper T-cell regulates responses to bacterial and viral infections and suppresses the production of IgE. Mm -hmm. Many think that this vaccine delays exposure to enough viral and bacterial infections that it causes an imbalance between the two types of Mm T-cells, okay. And that is really like the hygiene hypothesis. So by default, what they're saying is that there's an increased production of IgE or promotion of production of this, of this allergen-specific component, okay? Mm-hmm. And thus, we see a higher number of allergic reactions in children and more asthma, okay? That's kind of the background between hygiene hypothesis, okay? But vaccines only prevent a very small portion of ma- major childhood illness. They do not prevent children from getting, like, the common colds. Right. They do not prevent children from being exposed to bacteria and pathogens and viruses on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So the chances of this actually inhibiting that normal balance of the two types of helper T cell responses or that normal balance of IgE um, is pretty, pretty slim. Right. Um, There are a lot of other explanations that provide more proof for why this this myth might be wrong. But that's kind of one that Mm -hmm. I want to break down. And these few key, more dangerous viruses that we're preventing exposure to is not going to prevent your child from developing a strong immune response. Right. And so, just preventing their exposure to, or preventing their response to a few really dangerous pathogens is not going to hinder them from developing a strong microbiome Mm -hmm. and a strong you know um, immune system immune right. response against other things so myth number four is that uh my child has never been vaccinated and they've never gotten sick <laughs> so there's no point. and contracting the disease naturally is much better for my child's immune
0: system anyway <laughs> it's my favorite argument ever <laughs> please talk to my mother because that's just, exactly what she feels well it's because it's literally just you go full circle yeah Yeah, you really do (laughs) you go from being an anti-vaxxer from essentially having the same train of thought that led to vaccines so
1: yeah really contracting the disease is more dangerous to your body than actually taking getting the vaccine
0: and just
1: because your child has never gotten sick that i will tell you is because of a little thing called herd immunity herd immunity so i would just like to thank every thing (laughs) i would just like to thank every single one of my friends and friends parents for doing my job for me they all got vaccinated which means i didn't have to i was never so which means you know i was never exposed to measles or mumps right Uh, Because all my friends were vaccinated Right so the virus isn't spreading Essentially yeah so what like Herd immunity is this concept that A lot of people hear Mm -hmm. But it really is the reason Why especially in developed countries Especially like in the US Where we don't see huge outbreaks Of certain diseases and it's because Majority of the population is vaccinated Because it's routine And it's thanks to that that I Would not get sick
0: right and it's, it's Essentially just that You know if you have this huge group of people right i have 50 people and you know one person or two people um aren't vaccinated from a specific disease right the likelihood of those two people running into each other in that big 50 person group Mm -hmm. is really low Mm -hmm. but if you have a 50 person group and you have 20 people that aren't vaccinated Mm -hmm. then the likelihood of you know one of those people running into each other and then giving them giving each other the disease is much Mm -hmm. higher. So it's, you know, if you can, the, you know, that's why it's called herd. If you can get the herd to be vaccinated, it protects the people that either can't be vaccinated Mm -hmm. um, or for whatever other reason. Mm
1: -hmm. Because remember bringing it back, there are certain groups of people that really cannot be vaccinated. Right. Exactly. And I support if, if you cannot be vaccinated for religious reasons, for true religious reasons, right. Totally support that. And if you cannot be vaccinated for, um, true health conditions Mm -hmm. um, because you're immunocompromised or you have underlying health conditions that don't allow you to be vaccinated
0: or maybe you're allergic to something yes you know
1: which does happen right right so that's the thing is if you if you do if you cannot be vaccinated it is in your best interest of everyone around you is Mm -hmm. because it protects you are protected by
0: the herd And that's like my least favorite thing that people like to talk about is that, you know, well, it should be my choice because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be vaccinated. It should be my, you know, whatever, not based on any of the actual legitimate reasons Mm -hmm, why they mm -hmm. don't want to be vaccinated just because they feel like for, you know, they read the autism study Mm -hmm, and now they're scared mm -hmm. and they don't want to do the work. Mm -hmm. Um it's it's because it's not just affecting you it's mm-hmm. affecting you know the other person that cannot be vaccinated exactly. it's you know it's your decision is not you know something that is unique to your own you know your your own bodily autom- autonomy you know it's, mm-hmm. it's affecting you know say I have like a one-year-old child that you know can't be vaccinated yet and your three-year-old has whooping cough mm-hmm. and then my baby dies Mm -hmm. It's not your choice anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't get a choice. You made Mm -hmm. that choice for me. Mm -hmm. So that's what bothers me a lot. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. As it should. I mean, that's completely fair. And that's a really good point. And on top of that, there are vaccines for these viruses, these pathogens, for a reason. Right. People, maybe you're saying, oh, well, my kid's never gotten sick and they're not vaccinated, so what's the point? Yeah, your kid's not not getting sick because vaccines exist. (laughs) Okay. And because hygiene exists now, kids used to die from these things. Right. Like um, large groups, large populations were being wiped out by these things that we're not able to vaccinate against. Yeah. And so maybe in your lifetime, we, we haven't seen this illness spike. But that is because of vaccines that we're able to do that. Okay. Absolutely. So that's that's really what it comes down to is yeah, if enough people decided not to vaccinate their children, we would see increases in these in these pathogens again, increases in these germs spreading. Yeah. And we've seen that. We've seen outbreaks in me of measles in and in unvaxxed populations. Mm -hmm. At my own school, for example. And so it happens. Right. And that could be much larger scale if if more people weren't vaccinated. Right. Yeah. So with that, I would say, you know, coming from an anti-vax background, I really can empathize with people and parents Mm -hmm. who are afraid of what a vaccine can mean for their children. I would say, though, that you really brought up a good point, which is at some point it's really not about just your child mm-hmm. it's about every child right it's about every person yeah absolutely. and so in choosing not to vaccinate your child which their information is out there that can help you feel more at ease about that decision mm-hmm. but in choosing not to vaccinate your child you're also choosing to potentially get other kids sick right and and potentially kill other children
0: yeah and 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 that's intense and that sounds i mean that sounds really scary but that's i mean that's what what it is and what it has to be for us to understand like the severity of you know the choice and yeah and again like i i completely understand like being afraid you just have to i think it comes down to you know the willingness and the um desire to educate and learn more
1: yes absolutely so we went through a lot today (laughs) covered a lot of myths covered a lot of information Uh, i just want to end on one thing which is Mm -hmm. that uh, in new vaccine news uh, we have an anti-malaria vaccine on the horizon which is incredibly exciting Uh, i think it's called the r21 uh, m matrix vaccine Uh, r21 matrix m vaccine Uh, and it's basically hopefully going to be a cheaper and more potent vaccine than the current leading vaccine and so this malaria vaccine has been on the horizon for so such a long time Uh, and muscarix which is the leading current current leading vaccine for it uh, is given and that's given to infants and it has about a 50 percent efficacy Mm -hmm. okay which is pretty low yeah, if we think about you know Johnson and Johnson is seventy seven percent, mm-hmm. that's considered like decent, right? And um, we have Pfizer and Moderna are yeah. what, like a hundred percent, ninety. I think ninety percent, ninety five about ninety five percent efficacy, mm-hmm. which is really good. Yeah, this is fifty percent, right? So it's really not doing its job the way that it should. This one, this R twenty one Matrix M vaccine, it is about seventy five percent.
0: Oh, there which we is go. Pretty
1: good. Yeah, that is pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, And it uses a new system uh, that it boosts the immune response to the antigen after its initial vaccination. And Mm -hmm. it uses a system where it actually is kind of similar to the viral vector vaccine, but it uses the Hep B, human Hep B virus to display a specific protein Mm -hmm. uh, for the early stages of the plasmodium life cycle. And that allows our bodies to mount this immune response. And it's usually given to children who are at the most high risk because they've developed no sort of immunity Uh to to malaria. Uh, And so they're now, I think, in phase three clinical trials. Yeah, that's really exciting. So that is really exciting. So that's on the horizon Mm -hmm. of uh, new vaccines. New vaccines are being tested every single day hiv is another com- another one where we're still looking for the right components right. <laughs> uh but this is really promising mm-hmm. yeah we've been searching for a malaria vaccine for a long time yeah so i just wanted to end with that
0: yeah no some um, positive <laughs> positive news
1: <laughs> some very positive news is that that could save a lot of lives yeah a lot definitely of lives yeah yeah so at the end of every podcast we like to do a cheers. We do. So Melanie if you have anything that you would like to cheers to.
0: Um I would like to cheers to pox parties and never having <laughs> to go to one.
1: <laughs> yes, cheers to my mom for yes. putting me through that as a child. Fantastic.
0: <laughs> cheers. Um <laughs> and also send us emails. Um, yes. If
1: you have any sort of topics that you'd like us to discuss, feel free to send us an email. Our email is scienceoverdrinks at gmail.com. It's spelled exactly how it sounds. It's scienceoverdrinks at gmail.com. Or you can follow us slash DM us on Instagram at science.overdrinks. And we're also on Twitter at overdrinkspod. Thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye. Bye.